0: Fellowship and love. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health care ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.com. That's mycatholichealthcare.com. CMF Curo, healthcare fully alive.
1: Mary's Touch, real-life stories of Mary's love.
2: I really do feel that Mary had a role in bringing me back to the Catholic Church. He reminded me that Mary was my mom. I always fell upon if I needed a desperate prayer, I always called to Mary. I could see that Mary had a hand in this.
1: She began to speak to my heart. Mary's Touch, real-life stories of Mary's love.
3: Welcome to Mary's Touch, the show that brings you real-life stories of Mary's love and real stories of heroic men and women living a bold Christian witness. Today's guest is the pro-life heroine, Abby Johnson. Her story is not new. In fact, she's been a leading voice and profound witness in the pro-life culture since she exited as director of Planned Parenthood in Bryan, Texas, over a decade ago. Abby is fearless, converted, on fire with the love of God— poured into her, so much so that she's helped others become set free from the abortion industry. Her dramatic story of exit from Planned Parenthood captivated readers by the thousands when her story Unplanned was released several years ago. And now her story is going to another level. Her story is going to be on the big screen next spring in 2019 under the same name Unplanned the same power of testimony that impacted reader upon reader upon reader will be the same power that strikes a chord in the hearts and souls of people who come to the movies. Abby Johnson, welcome to Mary's Touch.
4: Thank you for having me on.
3: It's awesome to have you here. You are a friend, a sister in Christ, and it's been incredible to watch all of the things that have happened in your life. And though like I mentioned that your story isn't new. There are still people out there that have not heard the heart of who you are. There are younger generation listeners and people who may not have heard you on Mary's Touch when Sherry Lamonte interviewed you several years ago. So I'm wondering if you could take us back to that dramatic moment uh, when you were the director of Planned Parenthood and that moment that changed everything.
4: Sure. So um, I had worked at Planned Parenthood for eight years and became the clinic director And in the fall of 2009, I was asked to assist in an ultrasound-guided abortion procedure. So, this is not a common procedure. Most abortions are performed um, without the use of ultrasound guidance, but this doctor was a different doctor for us, and he he thought that this would be a good learning opportunity for me to see this different type of procedure. And I watched as a 13-week-old baby in the womb thought struggled for his life against the abortion instruments, and I knew when I saw that on the ultrasound that I had been lied to by Planned Parenthood, and that because I had so eagerly believed their lies, I had then in turn lied to thousands of women and I knew that what I saw on the screen was humanity in the womb. I knew that there was life there. I realized that I was on the wrong side of this debate, and so I ended up leaving Planned Parenthood and I was quiet about it, didn't Didn't plan on going public with my story. But when Planned Parenthood found out that I um, had been talking to a local pro-life group, they were trying to help me find another job. They actually took me to court. And when they took me to court, they sent out a press release to the AP. And that's what really put my story in the spotlight. And that was over nine years ago. Um, and so ever since then, I've been Going out and speaking, exposing what's going on inside the abortion industry, trying to help facilitate healing opportunities for men and women who have been hurt by abortion and have been successfully getting abortion clinic workers out of the abortion business and getting them into life-affirming work and really helping them heal from their trauma in the abortion industry.
3: And you know firsthand what it's like because you had two abortions and you worked inside and saw what you saw. And what we're hearing from people who have seen advanced screenings of the movie that's coming and have, you know, obviously read your book, but also you know, seeing it on screen is different than reading it. It's It's even more visual and more powerful. And people are saying this story can only be really told by Abby. This kind of mercy, like This is the kind of mercy that's dispensed from someone who's received God's mercy. Talk a little bit about that.
4: You know, it's interesting because when I started reaching out to abortion clinic workers, I thought that, you know, we would be only hearing from people who currently work in an abortion clinic. But what happened was we started actually hearing from people who had been out of the abortion industry some 20, 30 years but they had never told anyone. Their husband didn't know. Their children didn't know. Mm. They had lived with this secret their entire lives uh, since leaving the abortion business, and they had never healed from it. And, you know, many times it affected their relationships. It it did affect their relationship with their spouse or, you know, with their children or, you know, even just other relationships. And so it's been really awesome to see, you know, they recognize how much mercy has been given to them. And once they receive that healing, it's like they must do something to help other people heal. Not because it's really expected of them, but just because they want to. They have that desire because when you have been forgiven much, you want to help others receive that kind of forgiveness. And uh, that's that's really what our ministry is all about.
3: In the foreword to your book, Father Frank Pavone has a little bit that touched me he says, but every so often someone like Abby comes along. Stories like hers have a purpose. If we can better understand why someone has an abortion or how someone gets into the abortion industry and then leaves it, we might understand how society can emerge from the darkness of abortion. And it's, it's like, you know, one person at a time, hand-to-hand combat.
4: Yeah, it's, I think one of the most frustrating things to me that I hear within the Christian community, the pro-life community, is when I hear people say, I don't understand how anyone could have an abortion. I don't understand how anyone could work in the abortion industry. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> you know, you don't, yeah. you, don't, you don't have that sort of grasp of sin and how it can take over someone's life. Right. Because we all sin. We just sin differently. So I, I could very easily say to this person, well, I don't understand how you gossip about your friends all the time or I don't understand how you cheat on your spouse, or I, right? whatever right. it is, we need to have some understanding. And I think if we try to put ourselves in that position, look, I was raised in an amazing Christian home. I have parents who have been married for 41 years. I was raised in church. I still ended up running an abortion clinic. I still ended up having two abortions. It wasn't my upbringing. I wasn't abused. I didn't have anything like that in my past. It's just a series of wrong decisions. And that could be anybody. Mm
2: -hmm,
3: mm -hmm.
4: Anybody can find themselves living a life of sinfulness. That can happen to anybody. In fact, it does happen to most people with different sins. And so we need to have some sort of understanding. If we really want to reach the hearts of these women, if people go, I don't don't understand how women can have an abortion. Then you must not know the pressures that women are under when they're making that decision. Nobody's walking into the abortion clinic saying, I'm so excited to exercise my right to choose today. People are having abortions because they feel like they have no other choice. They're afraid. They feel like all of their other options are gone. And so it should be us as Christians, us in the pro-life movement who are saying, hey, look, let me help you find another option. Let's work on a solution together because I do understand how scared you are right now. I do understand how vulnerable you are, and I'm going to help you walk through this. I'm going to walk with you on this journey.
3: And you were talking a little bit about how you never intended to go public, that you know, Planned Parenthood put out a press release and the Associated Press picked up the story, and then it went like wildfire from there. And since then, you have been public, and your story – You've been all over the country. You're, you're like a modern-day apostle going everywhere with your testimony. And when the testimony goes out, people are touched. It's anointed. Um, what is the difference between that and now knowing that your story that you share in friendly audiences and also in in the book format, Tyndale and Ignatius Press published your story, what is it like thinking that your story is now becoming a movie? How did that happen and what does that feel like? Is it scary? Is it kind of like anticipatory thinking about many more people who could be touched?
4: You know, um, when I first started doing this, I I sort of made a deal with God, I guess. You're not (laughs) supposed to do that, but I I sort of made a deal with God. I said, look, I am never going to try to publicize myself. So if you want me to speak and you want me to share your story, it really is God's story, then you're going to have to open doors for me. I'm not going to ask people to speak for them. I'm not going to mail out a flyer about myself. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. I'm just saying that was not my heart, and I just told God, like, look, if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to open the doors.
3: He blew them open, and
4: and and he's done that. I mean, for the past nine years, my speaking schedule is full. It continues to be full. uh, I've written two books, and you know those doors just sort of open. And so when I got the email about possibly doing a movie. Had never been something that I'd ever even thought about, and it made me very nervous when I when I first thought about it. I I don't know. That's it's one thing to read about someone exactly, it's another thing to see their life played out on the big screen. Right. And so I, thought, I don't know, I don't know about that, but you know, prayerfully and and really prayerfully with the directors, we decided to move forward with this, and I think now. <laughs> no, I know, I feel very humbled that, mm-hmm. that God would even use my story in this way to reach an even bigger audience. I feel very vulnerable. Right. Thousands and thousands of people are going to be seeing the worst version of Abby Johnson on the screen, and that's a very vulnerable place to be. But I also feel like that this really is God-breathed, and I feel like this is what He wants. And so I just have to keep remembering why I'm doing it. And it, right. it's not to, and it's why I've been doing this since day one, because I want him to be glorified even in this tragedy, even in the mistakes that I've made. I want him to be at the center, and I want him and his story really to be glorified through my story.
3: Amen. We are talking with Abby Johnson. I'm Alexis Walkenstein, and the show is Mary's Touch. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to return and hear more from Abby about her dramatic life story, her testimony, Unplanned. You know it from the book. Now it's coming to theaters next year. We're going to hear more about what it was like to have her story made into a film. We'll be right back.
2: The Faith and Freedom Minute explores the intersection of our Catholic faith and modern American culture, offering insights to understand and navigate the divide between secular
4: viewpoints and our Catholic principles. Brought to you by the Knights of Columbus, here's past state deputy for Texas, Douglas Oldmixon.
2: The U.S. Supreme Court has decided the case involving a Christian baker who declined in 2012 to create a custom wedding cake for a same-sex ceremony. The Supreme Court ruled seven to two in favor of the Baker under the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, citing the obvious animosity some officials exhibited toward his religious beliefs. The USCCB issued the following statement. Today's decision confirms that people of faith should not suffer discrimination on account of their deeply held religious beliefs, but instead should be respected by government officials. In a pluralistic society like ours, true tolerance allows people with different viewpoints to be free to live out their beliefs in every aspect of their daily lives, even if those beliefs are unpopular with the government. As Knights of Columbus, we seek government policies that support such religious tolerance. Will you join us?
4: This has been the Knights of Columbus Faith and Freedom Minute. To learn
2: more about the effective witness and practical works of the world's largest Catholic family organization, Please visit our website at kfc.org. That's kofc.org.
1: You're listening to Mary's Touch, real life stories of Mary's love in our lives. Visit Marystouch.org to find out how you can help support us with your prayers and your donations. Find out more about Mary and tell us your story. It's all at marystouch.org.
3: And we're back. Thank you for listening to Mary's Touch. We are speaking with Abby Johnson. She's the pro-life heroine, My Sister in Christ. Her story is going to be a movie in March 2019, Unplanned, the same title of her book, her first book. Her story, her testimony that has helped hundreds of people change their lives. Grace touched her, and her life has never been the same. Abby when you were approached by Carrie and Chuck to do the movie and you said, you know, this puts you in a vulnerable position and, and then, you know, things kind of happen pretty quickly. You're on set in Oklahoma. It was chaotic. They didn't have the actress who would portray you until, you know, almost days before they were to go to production. Is vulnerable in so many ways because it's your story. And then it's like giving yourself away to another person, someone who's going to play you. How did that play out and how did that you know, the relationship between you and Ashley, who is the young actress, who is Abby, how did that play out?
4: Yeah. um, As soon as um, she got the part and accepted it, she called me and we started talking. And she said that she's like, I watched every YouTube video with you in (laughs) it. And I've, I've read all of your pieces and all of my articles. And so She was, you know, she had to become very familiar with my story, and as we talked and got to know each other, I mean, I just, there was really just this instant bond between the two of us, and while she was filming my character, we talked every day. Right. Um, And, you know, she wanted, she just wanted to make sure that she captured my personality, And, and honestly, our personalities are sort of similar in real life, so... It was really great. Uh, I mean, there are times when I was on set and I was watching her, I just would sort of laugh because I would think, <laughs> oh, that's exactly the way I would do it. Or that's, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I would say. Or, um, And so, yeah, she's really great. She's really fun. And, and she just, I don't know, like we we still talk all the time. Um, that's even though great. Filming's done. And um, I feel like, you know, this will be a, a lifelong friendship between the two of us, not just you know, somebody who who played me in a film.
3: That's wonderful. And she has an incredible story where her mom revealed to her just before she started filming that she almost wasn't here. She was almost aborted. And she has said, you know, publicly that she feels like she was born to play you. She was born for this role.
4: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I know that, you know, the directors were very prayerful during um, casting and, there were, you know, there were other people that they looked at and just wasn't right, and um, Ashley just ended up being perfect. And then to find out, you know, that story of, of how abortion um, touched the life of her family and uh, it was really just beautiful. And and sort of, you know, all the puzzle pieces came together. So, uh, you know, it's not just another role for her. I mean, this has now become very personal for her.
3: Right. And I think it when it's that personal, it's authentic, and you feel that coming through. And um, a piece of, of your story, which—and I think you touched on this before we hit the break—about the church, you know, really being loving and coming up alongside people. And, you know, the church begins at home, you know, with the domestic church. And what I think really shines through in the film is— the love that you were surrounded by, your parents. You mentioned your parents. Uh, I, I think many families will relate to the pain and the struggle of the divide within a family, the, the long-suffering and the, the prayers that your mom had prayed for you and your dad. And then your, your husband, Doug. I mean, the amazing, unconditional love for a spouse, even though you were going into darkness every day, Inside Planned Parenthood, here's a man who didn't judge you. He had his opinions about all of it. He loved you through and through. And you made your own decision to walk. He did not try to influence you. He did not try to sway you. He would occasionally prick your conscience, you know, and I'm sure there's more than the book and the movie that we don't see, you know, between Abby and Doug. Right. But talk about that love that I've, I felt like that was one of the most powerful storylines. The core storyline of the film was this love in the family unit.
4: Uh, you know, I don't know what it was like to be my parents for those eight years, but uh, I know it was frustrating for them. But I, I think it was sort of a, I think it's a complicated emotion because, mm-hmm. you know, my parents taught me growing up that, you know, you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want. You, you know, you know, always be working for success and towards success. And, and they taught me, you know, about having a good work ethic. And so here they see their daughter, you know, rising through the ranks of not this, you know, mom-and-pop sort of business, but this billion-dollar corporation. And they see me rising through the ranks very quickly, very young. And so recognizing that they are proud of how hard that I'm working but also on the other hand hating what I'm doing um you know that had to be a very complicated feeling for them and I think you know once I had my my first child grace while I was working at the clinic there was this hope that I would suddenly get it you know and right then I would leave and then that was a frustrating blow to my parents because I didn't leave and um but they just kept, they just kept hoping, and they just kept their faith. And my mom was telling a story one day. It's just, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I'd like gotten a raise or something, or an award or something. And she hung up the phone with me, and she looked at my dad, and she said, "She's never going to leave.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: She's never going to leave Planned Parenthood. It's just we're praying, and it's like God is not hearing us." Mm-hmm. And my dad, who really, he's a man of great faith, but he's a man of few words. Right. And um, he just looked at my mom and he said, she will leave because God has promised us that in his word. We have raised her to know him and Mm -hmm. she will return. And we may not be here when she does, but we have to have confidence that that day will come. And, you know, it was just like a month or two later that I ended up leaving.
3: It really affected me watching that in the film. I just, it was so powerful because this this unshakable faith and so many parents could feel like God is deaf to them. And yet this resilient faith of your dad.
4: Yeah. And I think too, you know, with Doug, my husband, um, but I think it was the same sort of confusing emotion for my husband because Mm. here his wife is, you know, going to these fancy dinners and meeting, you know, these big politicians and actors and actresses and so it's like there's some pride there.
3: Right. Right.
4: Um but also this very conflicted emotion. Um and and it was even closer for him because he was my spouse. We were together every day. So right. you know, he has always loved me well. But it certainly did create a strain in our marriage. It just you know, work is such a huge part of anyone's life. It's what you do the bulk of your day. Right. And that was a subject that was pretty much off-limits in our marriage. And that, you know, that creates a strain. And and I can say, honestly, that when we came into the Catholic Church in 2012, I mean, that really—receiving um, that sacrament of marriage within the Catholic Church, having our marriage convalidated in the Church— that grace, I believe, is really what healed our marriage, because we learned for the first time really what marriage was. It's not just, a, you know, you sign a piece of paper and, you know, well, you're just married. It's, right. you know, it's really, it's a sacrament, it's a covenant. And and so, and there was no backing out, <laughs> right? But, right. You know, we were committed, we made this commitment to each other, and uh, and so I really believe that, you know, learning about marriage and learning about God's plan for marriage and... And, and working through that together, in agreement with the Catholic Church, um, was really what what helped our marriage, helped heal our marriage, and, and ultimately, probably what what saved our marriage. Because it, there were times where it was really difficult after I left, trying to reconcile what what had happened in our marriage, mm. um, how difficult it had been. It wasn't like oh, I left the clinic, and then all of a sudden our marriage is perfect. We had to heal from right. that eight years of strain.
3: And it's not impossible for others who might be going through similar uprooting and replanting in their lives. It's not impossible. I mean, look at the ministry, Look at the life you have now going from, um, you know, you had Grace and now you have a lot of kids. You and Doug have <laughs> raised a fleet, a big family, and you have another one coming. You have yeah. seven plus one is eight total, right?
4: Yep, right, yep.
3: And that is a reparation, right there, total transformation in your ministry. And then there were none. Talk a little bit about the power of what God has led you to do, and how your husband supports you in this.
4: Yeah, you know, when I, I, I after I wrote Unplanned, my first book, I had people from the clinics contacting me and asking me you know, well, hey, I want to leave too. Can you help me? And I, I thought for sure after, you know, at that time it was about 40 years of, of fighting legal abortion, there would be some sort of national ministry to help abortion clinic workers, but there there wasn't. Mm. And so...
3: And they just came to you? They just started contacting you?
4: Yeah, yeah. I th- You know, I think a lot of them had picked up my book to read it as a critic mm. and then found a lot of truth in it and saw themselves and then said, "Well, gosh, if she can do it, I can do it too." And so, um, but there was really nowhere for for them to go in the pro life movement. So Doug and I, you know, prayerfully decided, "Well, we'll just do it on our own." So we were financially helping these people leave, and helping them find jobs, and getting them connected. And then I started praying, and I said, "You know, God, I just I really need you to just tap somebody on the shoulder and really." Root in someone's heart to start a ministry for abortion workers. Right. (laughs) And he's, like, tapping me, like, hello, dummy. (laughs) It's um, you. (laughs) Yeah, and so uh, we got this started and, you know, didn't know what we were doing. There was, was no. It's not like if you start a pregnancy center, you could look at thousands of other pregnancy centers, right, their models. We're really sort of doing this on our own and and really just doing it in faith because, you know, we didn't have— money to really get this started up but um just praying that money would come and and it did and you know now we're we've been doing this now for six years we've helped 477 um, abortion workers leave their jobs including seven full-time abortion doctors so god has just really blessed us and you know but doug and i we started this thing together and uh that's sort of how we do life you know um we we make these big decisions together, and he's always supportive of whatever I want to do. And you know, no matter how crazy it is, he's he's always supportive, and is always here to listen and, and be a cheerleader for me in the background. So,
3: and I can't wait to see the reaction when your story hits screens. More people will be wanting to contact you. More people will want to leave. The movie website is unplanned.com. How can people get in touch with you, Abby, in the final few seconds here for And Then There Were None?
2: Yeah, And Then
4: There Were None's website is abortionworker.com. And if you want to find out more about the ministry and then uh, to contact me directly, you can go to my website, abbyjohnson.org.
3: Amazing. Abby, I could talk to you for three hours, and we're going to have to have you on again and again as we lead into this monumental moment. Thank you for being on Mary's Touch, and God bless you always.
4: Thank you, Alexis.
3: Thank you, listeners.
1: God bless you. God love you. This program is produced by Mary's Touch, a nonprofit corporation dedicated to bringing you the love of Mary and her son, Jesus. If you have questions, comments, or a story to share, Write to us at Mary's Touch, P.O. Box 341991, Austin, Texas, 78734, or email radio at marystouch.org. For more stories or to find out more about Mary, visit our website at marystouch.org.
0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at CaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington. Home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at lexusoflexington.com.